for God's help. We need it today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it sounds so simple when we sing that song, that beautiful song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And Lord, those words are true of, I I suspect many in this room genuinely love you. They have been born again unto an unfeigned love for God and for one another. But that's the miracle. And it's unusual. The vast majority, the vast majority, don't love you. And that's a frightening reality. It motivates us in our mission. So, Father, I pray that you would come and help us to see the peril of rejecting your love for us in Christ. Paul spoke those words to a church, so I speak them to a church today. May those who know you and love you be wonderfully warned and reminded of your sovereign keeping care. And may those who don't know you be warned, perhaps even into running into the loving arms of Jesus, even this morning. And may this send us with great zeal into our neighborhoods and places of work and places we hang out. For there are perishing people all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have not already done so, I will invite you to open a Bible to 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22. Uh, That's our text, just one verse of Scripture today. If you wanted to follow along in one of the red Bibles, you could find the page 963, and that has our verse on it for today. 963 in those red Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. 963. Uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. Uh, Rarely do I take a single verse of Scripture uh, for an entire sermon but as we make our, our study of it over the next few moments together, I suspect that you would agree with me that there is plenty here for the next few minutes for us to dwell on. Three weeks ago, uh, Guy Runkle preached a powerful sermon from John 3.16. I had a chance to hear that online and uh, was incredibly blessed by it. John 3.16, also a single verse of Scripture. You got a whole sermon in one verse just a couple of weeks ago. John 3.16 contains some of the most beloved and familiar words in the entire Bible. John 3.16. 1 Corinthians 16.22 is the mirror image of John 3.16. And I mean that in the exact definition of that term, the mirror image. It's not the exact same thing as John 3.16, but it is a perfect reflection of it. Uh, I looked up mirror image on Wikipedia this week. Mirror image is a reflected duplication of an object that appears identical but reversed. So imagine John 3.16, a reflected duplication of John 3.16 that appears identical but reversed, seen from the other side. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
But the essence of 1 Corinthians 16.22, the essence of it says that God so loves his son that he sent into the world that whoever does not love him will perish without eternal life. God so loves his son that he sent into the world that whoever does not love him will not live but perish eternally. Listen now to 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. God so loves his Son that he sent into the world that whoever does not love him will not live but perish eternally. Last week was Easter Sunday. It was Resurrection Sunday. And we had as our text the, that incredible prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Remember that? Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. The centerpiece of that prayer is that it's a request for strength in the church that we would know how very much Jesus Christ loves us. Uh, So Paul prays in, in Ephesians 3 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the prayer. It was an awesome prayer for Resurrection Sunday. It's a good place to be. So pray, says Paul, pray that God may grant us the strength to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love for us. You need strength for that. Christ loves us so much that The strengthening power of the Holy Spirit is necessary. Apart from the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit, we can't deal with how much Jesus loves us. Makes me think of Jack Nicholson, whom I will paraphrase now. We can't handle Christ's love. Can't. We need help. We need help. He really loves us. We can't grasp or absorb Christ's love unless he helps us to do so. As he said in a previous sermon, God is a Mount Vesuvius of love. Christ is a Krakatoa of love going outward onto the world. So pray that God would grant us the strength as a church to see how much Jesus loves us. And that leads us to our first point today. All people everywhere are invited to love the Lord Jesus Christ. All people, all people everywhere are invited to love the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, he's implying that love for the Lord is the right thing to do. In view of the gospel, loving Christ is fitting. Makes sense. Now remember, the reason why it makes sense is because God is love. God loves his glory. God lives and exists in a loving unity of three 
equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they love each other with an incomparable, unbreakable love. The Father loves the Son, Son loves the Father, Holy Spirit's folded into that love. It's the love factory. It's amazing. Intra-Trinitarian love. And then in the law, God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially. The great summons of the Bible is love God and love people. But the tragic condition of our sin is that we can't. We won't and we don't. We, by nature, are lovers of self. We are born collapsed onto ourselves in self-regard and self-esteem and self-respect and self-concern and self-interest and self-absorption, and it makes us grotesque. As Victoria sang for us last week, loving ourselves to destruction. That's what sin does. That's what the world is doing right now. And that is the world that God so loves. Please don't miss the scandal of it. When the Bible calls us to love Christ, we must never, ever forget what makes the gospel good. Uh, Author Don Carson writes, In the Bible, it is simply astonishing that God loves us. It's amazing. I agree. I would add that in the Bible, it is simply astonishing that anyone wouldn't love God. Who are we not to love Christ? What what better offer from the creator of the universe would we ever receive that in the second person of the Holy Trinity, he would come to earth and take on flesh and and live in our place and die in our place and be raised for us and, and call us, call sinners to come and bask in the love that he has for us. That's the offer. <laughs> be loved. And love the infinite source of love. That is the message of the Bible. Who are we not to love Christ? Stop loving sin. Start loving Christ as your everlasting treasure. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We have no idea what God has prepared for us, those of us who love him. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus like that. Um, And then when speaking to the first century church scattered across Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, the apostle Peter encourages these churches by saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice in him with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. All people everywhere are invited. That's the summons of the Bible. We're invited to love the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Why love? Why are we invited to love the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to love Christ? On the one hand, that's Seth's task next week. Uh, Next week's sermon has been entitled, I Love You, Lord. Worship as the essence of loving God. And in order to answer that question for us, Seth is going to take us to Psalm 16 and just walk us through phrase by phrase and show us what love for God looks like. It's worship. But to whet our appetite for that, I'll answer maybe the question this way. What does it mean to love Christ? Well, what does it mean to love yourself? Remember, we just had a little definition of self-love a minute ago. We just said we are lovers of self, which means we are born preoccupied with ourselves in self-regard and self-protection and self-esteem and self-respect and self-concern and self-interest and self-absorption. That's what love for self is. It's also idolatry. So just take that and flip it outward onto a worthy object, namely Christ. And you see what loving Jesus is all about. It means to be preoccupied with Christ. With your whole life in Christ regard and Christ esteem and Christ respect and Christ concern and Christ interest and Christ absorption. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All day long. 168 hours a week. And again the next week. Until he returns. Reminds me of my son's favorite rap artist, Lecrae, who says, That's why it's Christ in my rhymes. That's why it's Christ all the time. See, my whole world is built around him. He's the life in my lines. We heard that this morning in our kitchen. One of the sweetest and most powerful verses in the Bible in this respect is the very end of the Bible, Revelation twenty two seventeen, which says, The Spirit... And the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. The spirit and the bride say, come. And as a part of the extension of that offer, I invite you to come right now. I won't wait until the end of the sermon. Come to Jesus if you haven't. He loves you. Whether or not you know it, whether or not you love yourself the way that Christ loves you, and you don't. You don't love yourself even close to how much Jesus loves you. Come to Jesus. All people everywhere are invited to love the Lord Jesus. You're invited to do so right now. He lived and died and was raised for you. If you want to know a little bit more of what it means to invite Christ into your life, just come and talk to me after the worship gathering. I'll be in the back. We're hanging around for a couple of hours today. Talk to me. Talk to uh, Greg, who will be down here in front on behalf of our elders. Talk to someone who's near you. All people everywhere are invited to love the Lord Jesus Christ. We never want a sermon to go by in this church where we do not summon each other to love the Lord Jesus. I hope that if you're a believer today, we've said this before, but I hope that you're on the edge of your seat as you hear the gospel. I hope you're not thinking, I certainly hope there are some unsaved people here since he's giving the gospel. You should be on the edge of your seat saying, yes, yes, that's, that's the one. That's the message that's saving me. If I'm going to get into heaven, that's the message that's saving me. That's beautiful to me. I'm coming once again to him. 
Because, point number two, the penalty for not loving Christ is absolutely, overwhelmingly unthinkable. The penalty for not loving Christ is absolutely, overwhelmingly unthinkable. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. You feel that? If you do, that is the Holy Spirit pressing on you. It's a very weighty truth. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. The penalty for not loving Jesus, for not loving him, is absolutely, overwhelmingly unthinkable. But we should think about it, especially if you have been delivered from that penalty. You should think about it. In the King James Version, it reads, let him be anathema. Anathema. That's actually a transliteration of the word that Paul actually used. It's a, it's a Greek word, anathema. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. And notice, as we said before, that 1 Corinthians 16.22, it's the mirror image of John 3.16. So whatever anathema is, it has something to do with that word perish which is in John 3.16. And this is where we pick up Guy's sermon. A couple of weeks ago, he, didn't, he said he wasn't going to touch that because this sermon was going to touch that. Now we're touching that. That, anyone, uh, that. that whoever believes in the Lord would not perish but have eternal life. So those two words, accursed and perish, take up the same reality. In English, those words, as they appear in the New Testament, mean to be lost, to be condemned, to be damned, to be doomed, to be destroyed, Paul is here referring to everlasting destruction, the miseries of hell. Article 10 of the Statement of Faith of the Evangelical Free Church of America puts it this way, eternal conscious punishment. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. One way to get at what this means is to read biblical descriptions of those experiencing the return of the Lord as he comes. Those who do not know the Lord as they interpret his coming. So Revelation uh, Revelation 6, verses 15 to 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful... And everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 14, 10 to 11 says that those who do not have any love for the Lord will be Tormented. Tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. 
Finally, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Jenny read it for us earlier. Those who do not love the Lord, they, non-lovers of Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. I'm not quite sure how to take that because that phrase that Paul uses could easily be translated, that comes from the presence of the Lord. Either way. And from the glory of his might. The penalty for not loving Christ is absolutely overwhelmingly unthinkable. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. In 1692... A Puritan author by the name of Thomas Doolittle described the curse with these words. It's a dreadful curse, a total curse, a public curse, a positive curse, a private curse, a final curse, an irrevocable curse, and an eternal curse. And then he went on, Doolittle went on to describe how easy it is to be cursed. I stumbled over that for a minute and I thought, sure if that's right or not. Except that that's what Jesus says. In Matthew 7 13, Jesus says, The road to destruction is easy. The road to life is hard. Matthew 7.13, Matthew 7.14, Jesus' words. What does Jesus mean? Easy and hard. Well, Thomas Doolittle explains. It's an easy thing for a man to fall under the curse of God. To obtain the blessing is hard in the Christian life. Exceedingly difficult. For there must be a weaning of our love from the world and getting that under our feet, which used to be in our hearts. There must be a calling off of the heart from sin, which was like our right eye or our right hand to us. How difficult is a work of this measure, he says. And there must be loving above all that which we hated more than all, and hating above all that which we loved more than all. There must be striving, wrestling, fighting, watching, running. That's verbs for the Christian life in the New Testament. But it is an easier thing Doolittle says, to come under the curse and the wrath of God. It's an easier thing. He says, hell might be had with lesser pains. Sit still and you will run to hell. Do nothing and you will soon be there. It is easy to do what you should not, to love the world more than Christ. He's right. Jesus said the way is easy that leads to the, to the curse. And those who enter that way are many. Many. Jesus' words about this curse, easy to get there, many go there. Hard to be saved, few are. So how many are going? Permit me once again an observation from Thomas Doolittle. Must all that love not Christ be cursed? 
then tremble at the thought of the great number that shall be cursed. There are but comparatively few that have sincere love to Christ. Consider then what multitudes there are that love other things more than Christ and see what vast numbers will be accursed. How many are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of Christ? How many are lovers of money more than lovers of Christ? He says they they prize their silver above the Savior. How many are lovers of honors rather than lovers of Christ? How many are lovers of themselves more than lovers of Christ? Few love Christ and few are blessed by Christ. And he ends by saying this. Most are void of love unto him, and most shall be accursed at his coming. Is that a hard saying? Doolittle asks. It is hard, but it is true. Is it a hard saying? Yes, but it will be harder feeling when the curse shall be inflicted. Friends, this is what preaching used to sound like 320 years ago. We've come or fallen a long way since then. Preaching like this used to produce a peculiar sort of Christian. Strong, humble, steady, beautiful, pleasant, solid, winsome followers of Jesus. They lived like John 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 16.22 were the defining realities of their lives. Oh, for such a renaissance of such people in our church, in our city. It affects your evangelism when you feel this way. Ruins your casual relationships with people at a party on the lake like I was last night. Warning a brother. I would want him to be a brother about the miseries of hell. Wooing him with the greatness of Jesus. He was wondering what I was so worked up about. Because I love him. It flavors your whole life to know that this is true. Let's be a church that believes 1 Corinthians 16.22 right down to our toes. If you believe in this vision of hell, it will make you a more loving person. Matthew chapter 25. It's true. If you believe in this vision of hell, you will lay yourself out for other people. You will be a delightful neighbor. The penalty for not loving Christ is absolutely overwhelmingly unthinkable. As we've said in this church before, how much would you have to hate someone not to tell them about this? How much? One final point today. The church prays, and Christ himself promises, surely I am coming soon. The church prays, and Christ himself promises, surely I am coming soon. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Now, there's three more words in our text as we finish up here. Uh, They're a prayer. Maranatha is the way that Paul said it. Our Lord, come. 
Our Lord, come. It's a prayer. But it's also a promise. It's the last promise in the Bible. And it's one that we ought to pray over and over again. Revelation twenty two twenty. we read, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And the Apostle Paul adds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that was 2,000 years ago. And the church has been praying for that for 2,000 years. It's a promise and a prayer. And on the one hand, it's a wonderful prayer. We can and should pray this way. I don't pray this way often enough, and I don't suspect you do either. There are some people who pray this way, and it is wonderful. Let's pray this way. Like Paul and John, let's pray for the return of Jesus visibly, bodily to this earth, that we would speed his coming by our prayers. The return of Christ is going to be such great News. When the king returns, for those who love him. This will not be good news for those who don't. When Christ returns, non lovers of Christ will be begging him to leave. Because the judge of all the earth will come. And when he comes, there's no higher court of appeal. This isn't like Prop 8, where it just doesn't work in California. We'll just send it to the Supreme Court and we'll see, because that's the appellate there. With Jesus, you hit a wall. You hit a wonderful wall of authority. There's nowhere to appeal. He's the judge. The judge hung on a cross for the sins of all who would ever come to him. By grace, through faith, the judge has paid the penalty. There's nowhere else to go but to absorb the penalty yourself, and you will. You will, if you don't love Jesus. It was read for us earlier, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, and 8. This is what Paul says, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, he will come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on all those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And just so we know, the gospel of the Lord Jesus is to throw yourself on Jesus. It's not to do stuff for Jesus. He did everything. He lived your life. He died your death. He was raised for you. To obey the gospel means to hug the bloody cross and hang on for a lifetime. And invite others to the foot of the cross. That's how you love Jesus. That's how you obey the gospel. And if you're a hugger of the cross, you will also be a goer and a sender of people into mission, both local and abroad. If this doesn't completely motivate you to do whatever it takes to get the gospel out, very little will. There is a, this is a stick motivation. There's a carrot motivation, and it's next week. Seth has the carrot for us. Psalm 16. You don't just warn people away from hell. You woo people to Jesus. Psalm 1611 is like the greatest verse in the Bible, and Seth gets to preach it next week. Do some homework this week and read Psalm 1611 over and over and pray that our brother would show us some beautiful things. He's going to return. His return is soon. Our Lord Come, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life.
God so loves his son that he sent into the world that whoever does not love him will not live, but perish eternally. All people everywhere, everyone in this room is invited. Everyone in this room is invited. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. The penalty for not loving Christ is absolutely overwhelmingly unthinkable. I pray that it motivates you. I pray that, I pray that the community groups in this church are pulsing with evangelistic activity. One of the things we'll talk about in our Macedonia presentation here is how, un, I don't know about you, unbelievably floored I was at the outward orientation of the church plant in Brian and Debbie's house. Unbelievable. I did not hear about great Aunt Mabel's stubbed toe for a prayer request. I saw a big stack of what they called contacts, people who don't love Jesus, that they want to build into. And as Tim says, hang out with a purpose. Meet them and induce them to the king. We should have groups that are evangelistically intense. Because the church prays and Christ himself promises, surely I am coming soon. Maranatha. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it will be a vapor, our lives. Either you will return and we will be alive for the glorious return of Jesus. Talking with my daughter at the kitchen table about that the other day, Lord. What a neat thing to be alive when you come. We will marvel at you (laughs) because we have believed. And the king returns and we'll be safe. But Lord... It won't be the case for those who don't love you. Help us to love them enough and love you enough to tell those who don't love you how wonderful you are. Help us to live winsome, godly, powerful, humble, full to overflowing with Christian character lives. Tough because the Bible is tough, but tender because our hearts have been made tender by the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this amazing verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. We've gone one step deeper into this topic of love. Lord, sustain us this week and bring us back together as our brother opens up the way forward, what it looks like to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.